Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, we go to the Chumash Nation in what is known as Santa Barbara County, California, regarding the 20th anniversary and celebration of the Tamal Crossing, the traditional planker canoes of the Chumash Nations. We'll speak with three community members and captains of the Tamals regarding this 26-mile voyage across the Santa Barbara Channel to the traditional island known as Limu or Santa Cruz Island. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone In the first segment of our program today here on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the Chumash Nation in what is known as Santa Barbara County on the 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing to Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island. The Tamal Crossing is a 26-mile voyage across the Santa Barbara Channel to Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island. This year, I have the honor and pleasure to speak with Marcus Lopez, co-host and executive producer of American Indian Airwaves, Chumash community member and captain, along with Steve Villa, Chumash community member and captain, and Reggie Pagaline, Chumash community member, captain, and canoe master, on the celebration, the ceremony, the sacrifices, and perseverance of the Chumash Nation and its significance of this year's 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing to Limu, which makes it the 20th crossing in over 150 years. And now, Marcus Lopez, Steve Villa, and Reggie Pagaline on the 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing to Limu. Perseverance, Sacrifice, Celebration, and Ceremony. Well, Larry, thank you for having us um, here in America in your way. We're having the 20th year anniversary of the Tamal Crossing, which is a two-mass plank canoe across the Santa Barbara Channel in and by the Santa Barbara Coast. So we have <clears throat> our three islands that we have, Limu, Wima, Tucan, and Anapak. Those were four islands that our Chumash community were living in before the invasion. That being said, this crossing is a 20-some-odd years of anniversary, and it was incredible that this crossing even started. But yet, I want to recognize the um, Tumul genealogy, and I'll just say the year and the Tumul name. In 1976, the Helic. Uh, in 1996, the Plank Canoe of the Tia, Momarihiko. In 98, the two tumuls were built, sponsored by the Santa Barbara Educational District, Alakoy and Hummingbird. And then you had the sister, Tomo, 
came from the same jig was was 2001. Her name was Elliot Un, and built by uh, the Chumash Maritime Association and community, mostly community. So in 2008, a Tumul was built, Isha Kovish, and that was in 2008. 2010, China's Band of Mission Indians, vis-a-vis Reggie Pagaline and Jim built uh, Muktamai. And then finally, on uh, 2012, the Bottle Chumash Tribal Council and helped with the Chumash Maritime Association facilitated the building of Hawk Alakot. So those are the Tumuls. The first crossing in over 150 years in modern history from the mainland to Limu, which is Santa Cruz Island, was um, in 1909. And that was first time, any time that Tumul went to the island. And a little bit caveat, Larry, is that we organize it so the community can gather and welcome. And so apropos that the naming what Reggie and Jim built was Muktamai means memory. To give mm. the community, all the community, regardless of bands, tribal affiliation, so on and so forth, they can work together, celebrate together, and be at the island, witness the historical event. And ever since then, with some exceptions, with the weather and COVID, we have not crossed. Nevertheless, that's the background of, um, of the Tomos, our famous plant canoes, and at the same time, the beginning, the first crossing. So I'll leave it to Reggie or Steve to fill in the cracks. Steve, you want to follow up or add um, to this uh, this journey that's led to this year's crossing? Well, this this journey has been is is uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. Like I say, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And our journey began with our ancestors, and we're just continuing that. And uh, that that's what we that's what we keep doing. Uh, I came in probably to the process in the, at the end of 1998 and uh, came into that at that time period to start paddling. And uh, it's been a joy and an experience being a paddler and then being a navigator and then becoming a captain uh, during this process uh, with everyone in our community coming together as one. Really enjoyed it. Ready? So, gosh, so many wonderful years, so many wonderful people. Probably the addition that I'd like to go ahead and say about this. This is uh, not only cultural, but spiritual. This has been one of the journeys in which our purpose and our obligation to all the nations is to be the caretaker of the Western Gate. Mm -hmm. And part of the Western Gate is escorting all the spirits from all the tribes across to the next next place. And I think we've been blessed to be able to do that, paddling uh, in the middle of the night. They call that the... uh, prayer time, and I think it's prayer time the whole time we're pulling water. Um, but uh, I don't think there's been a time since our crossing, uh, was it 9-11, um, on 9-9 that same year that we have not had someone present something to us from some of their loved ones, um, crews, other native tribal people, folks that escort us over the years, been, been our partners uh, from NOAA, and that collaboration so that we can continue the spiritual journey. And I think all of us have been touched. All of us have experienced something we did not realize that our ancestors would allow us to do, and that's to, to feel their spirit, to feel that pool of the water, to feel that spray on your face, to actually uh, to look out and see that. And uh, it's been an honor to be with many young men and young women. And uh, as our times come 
in this circle. It's looking forward to passing on this tradition, this obligation, this responsibility to that next generation. And uh, young they may be, but in spirit and heart, I, I feel a, a very blessed that we have these people, young people that we used to bring out to the beach 20-something years ago, and, and look at them now. They're young adults. Um, I'm blessed to have them in my life. And I've been very fortunate to, to watch this, experience this, uh, share this, and uh, preparing to pass this on, passing on the baton. And that's, that's the, the next beautiful part of this. this. This journey has never completed as you watch um, basically what you planted grow. And it's such, a, such an honor and a blessing to be part of it. Mm. Hello, thank you, Reggie. And all of you um, are captains and all of you have contributed so much to the living maritime traditions of the Chumash uh, people. And, and with this uh, crossing, and uh, people don't understand what it means to be a, a captain. And I was wondering if uh, each of you could share your understanding of what it means to be a captain uh, all year round in preparation for the actual crossing that will take place um, in in about a week or so. And I'll start with you, Marcus. You know what, Larry? One of the greatest things of working with people like Reggie and Steve and my son Marcus, the captains, we had some ebb and flows up and down, left and right, whatever. And the good thing about it, we stay alive, we still positive, and one of the points within the 10 rules of the canoe, of the Tomov, it says, when given any choice at all, be a worker bee, make honey. And that's a good spiritual sweet lesson that we have, and we're a wrong motive and a negative thinking, we don't like it. So that's why we have to, you know, change um, some personnel. But to all in all, if it wasn't for the effort of many organizations, was, you know, a lot of them, Dr. Chumash Tribal Council, Sainez, Band of Chumash Indians, you have even the closer bands, Chumash Nations, and uh, even the Tiaf Society helped out in many, many, many more names. You know, I can go on the, down the list, but I think one of the things is working with, you know, your Roberta Cordero, Dennis Kelly, Julie Cordero, Alan Salazar, Paulette Cabugos, Jordana Sanchez, Deborah Sanchez, and many years about 150 years since we crossed the, the ocean into our Limu, if it was the first adventure, our first crossing was achievable because we reached out to the community, community support and prayers, just like Reggie was talking about, it's all connected, everything was sacred. And that when we go into the ocean, we instruct, motivate, stimulate some hope, inspiration, as you said, as pullers, we each pull is a prayer. Our ratishle, our paddles, each pull is a prayer. The praying for our well-being, praying for our last ancestors, like Reggie was talking about, praying for the future ancestors we don't have yet. And it's remarkable, given the history of the Chumash people and, and California Indians, and Indians throughout North America, our turtle island, that we're still here. We're still functioning. At the same time, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but yet everybody work together, and that's the key, Larry, that people like Reggie, people like Steve, people like Marcus, that they, and all the different paddlers, they want to work together, and that's the amazing thing. I can talk about all the 
traumatic and disappointing aspects of it. But I think ever since the Old Brotherhood, 1800s, the New Brotherhood of the 1976, as well as all the powders that come and gone, and some, most, a lot of them are stayed, we can see that it's an incredible journey, that it's a metaphor, a physical metaphor, an existential, you might say, picture to tell our, our listeners and tell the true mass people and native people that are listening to this program that this is incredible. Along with this, like I said, open the names of the traditional names of our islands. There's a petition out there to help us along the line with about giving our, our original names. At the same time, it reflects the names of the Pomos. At the same time, the spirit, where the captains next to maintain, anybody can build a Pomos. But it's a, it's, a, it's a different thing, a sense of keeping it strong, the strength of the paddlers, our community, cultural, spiritual endeavor that we do, and we'll go on from there. But I can go on for hours with it. I want to. I want to uh, give Reggie and, and Steve a little bit um, what they think of the pooling was, because it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling out there in the dark, wonderful feeling out there in the ocean. Wonderful feeling. Uh, it's, it, it, it just beats all feelings of love for the earth, for Mother Earth, and its challenges. Reggie. I think the original question, if I'm correct, Larry, was uh, as a captain, how does that, is that, am I correct? Yeah, and, and that responsibility all year round that leads up to the actual crossing and then that, those responsibilities during uh, the crossing itself. I think to, the, to, to that portion of it being year-round, I think it's uh, at this point with the crossing being just uh, days away, I'm in, my, I'm in my dream time as a captain. I've already kind of gone through the crossing, gone through the ceremony in my head, uh, um, much like I think, uh, as they call it, uh, envisioning uh, what, what's going to transpire mm. and the safety of everybody. And at the same time, I've also had the nightmares about what, what could possibly happen. So uh, living with that the whole time is really important because as, as you go around year-round, you bring new people and you expose them to uh, maritime aspects. You have them right on the edge of not only learning but also being hurt very quickly. You never know uh, how quickly a, a, a beautiful scene can become dangerous. The swell of the ocean when you're holding the tamol near the shore if you're not standing in the right spot, the ocean will pick it up and slam a person into the ground if they're at the wrong side of the tamal. Mm. As the water surges in, someone can get knocked out, lose a tooth, break an arm. Uh, little children can get hurt if you're on the wrong side. I mean, there's a lot of safety factors people need to be aware of. And we want to remind listeners, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Marcus Lopez, Steve Villa, and Reggie Pagaline regarding the 20th anniversary Chumash crossing to Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island, in the heart of the Chumash Nation. And now, back to the interview. You're always conscious of that when you have the vessel in the water, whether it be in calm water or... As Marcus said, the experience of being out there, middle of the night, maybe you have moonlight to go on, maybe you don't. You can definitely see storms off in the distance being in the middle of the channel, just like you would in a Hollywood movie, where all you're looking off is seeing lightning in the distance of the wind and spray in your face, and you face that with 
five other young men and women trusting you to make that decision which way we're going, how we're going, how well it is, how well you learn the currents, how you pass that knowledge on to that next generation so that you're calm, you're at peace, you're confident, and you're a leader in no matter what goes on. I think you accept that responsibility. That visioning I talk about is much like professional athletes. You vision your win. You vision your game. You vision your golf shot. Everything is there. The same type of dream time happens for me. I am there with them. I know what they're going through. If I'm not in the vessel, I'm nearby. I can feel their heartbeat. I can feel their stress on their bodies. I can feel their sweat coming down their brows. That's the responsibility I have. Responsibility to each one of those people. Responsibility to know they have a confident person. The responsibility to know that they too have that obligation to learn to be this responsible, to share that, to have that vision, to have that confidence, and to have that belief that's been passed on by our ancestors. This is part of our culture. Steve, your thoughts and responsibilities regarding to be a captain of the Tamal? Being a captain isn't something that you can pick up and put down. It isn't something that you can put away and let go. It's not something that you just do. It's not. It's more than that. And the way I feel about it, it's a way of life. It's, it's, um, it's much more than that. It has taught me and uh, to see uh, everything through a different eye and, and a different lens to be able to see people in a different lens, to be humbled by the ocean, to understand that we do not control it. It dictates to us how it's going to be, and we flow uh, the best we can with it. Uh, It's like uh, Marcus Sr. had taught me through the years, is not to be an oak, to be a willow. And this has definitely taught me to be a willow in many aspects of my own personal life and trying to bring up... uh, new paddlers and, and possibly new navigators that are coming in uh, because a captain is a role. Uh, all, all the four captains, we all take on slightly different roles, and it takes those four to come together to make a unity, to make it one, because uh, we all handle different things, uh, different parts of the crossing, different parts of ceremony, and, but without, we need all four of us to do it. And, uh, and that's the next step we're going to have to do uh, in our evolution is to create four more that can do the same thing. And that takes time. It takes effort. And with the new generations wanting to fast track a lot of things, we need to slow them down uh, as we had to learn. It took 22, 23 years to get where we're at. And, and we're still learning as we go. And so just the enjoying the journey with, uh, with my brothers here, I looked up to them and loved them dearly, uh, Marcus Jr., Marcus Sr., and Reggie. Uh, I just look forward to many more years of being able to be a captain and to be able to navigate across the channel. And to both of them said it so eloquently on how I feel. Uh, I, I really can't add to it anymore, but I appreciate the time. You know, Larry, when, when building the um, in the Tonga Territory, the, uh, the Yahoo Yadu Sur, our daughter, little sister, mm. different things came up with it community on the Tongvo community and as we built the plant canoe and different things came up when building the different tumuls and the one thing this year it's amazing that even the, the national uh, director of the 
park system, Chuck Sands is going to come by this year. And then we have those particular dignitaries this year. But, yeah, we also are our own dignitaries, too much dignitaries. People from Sandez will come by. People from other nations are going to drop on by. And the thing about it, it's so important that to recognize there are other canoe families up and down the west, the Maoris, the Kanaka Maoris, people down Tongva, like I said before. And this is a, a just like what Reggie talked about, in, um, um, connecting it to our spiritual journey and our precious humkok of the coastal area that we are uh, guardians of and that that spirit with all the other water canoe families, we join hands and paddles and souls and spirits, and that's why we have a crossing. That's why we spend so much time in it, Larry. And this anniversary is incredible because it's an anniversary. A lot of people focus on all the divisive aspects, not only the Tumash community, but all the other Indian communities. And this, and all the canoe families and the canoes and all the different cultural activities and traditions, they are coming back. We're being stronger, we're being clearer, and we want to pave the road, you might say, or make room for the younger generations that can go forward, you know. So this anniversary celebration, not only of the material crossing, but the spiritual connection that Reggie was talking about. And I think it's just, it just, it just outstanding. It was just like, it's so exciting that a lot of times our young people don't get, are so busy, and even not so young people, with their many other problems, this gives a chance to take a deep breath. This gives a chance to uh, look at the ocean, look at our environment as too much maritime people, wherever, wherever we live, that, that's this connection. We're making the connection. We're helping people. We're making this connection. This pilgrimage of people going to the island, going to our limo, this is the connection that we have. And upon all obstacles, we have challenges we defeated those obstacles and we made bridges where a lot of people thought it would be impossible so because of the captains and the crew and the community the community prays for us when we go across the community prays for like we said every pool the the the, the battle we, we it, it's a prayer for our well-being the community it's a cultural expression of our thanking creator for letting us be who we are at the same time gives us gives us the opportunity to celebrate our culture. And so this anniversary is about that. This anniversary is letting in people coming in to help us celebrate all the alphabets and all the agencies. But it wasn't for, you know, the different people that are organizing the kitchen, the programs, the village within, within this time, or the community people that are too elderly, whether it be Sadinez or be Salvang or whether it be Santa Barbara, Ventura, Malibu, whatever, Santa Coy, whatever they live. In San Fernando Valley, they pray for us and they pray for their well-being. It's just, it's just uh, for our well-being and their well-being. It's all interconnected, like what you say. Everything's so sacred. So that's that. That is what I have to say. Reggie, your thoughts? You know, I think one of those things that you asked, Larry, was the question about besides the human beings, the touch there. Yeah. Um, I think I briefly touched upon it about talking about the night part of the journey, mm-hmm. but the day part of the journey is just as exciting. I mean, the, the connection you have at night, I mean, I think the very first journey, I was looking um, in the water, and during that time of the year of our very first journey, 
it happens to be the time of the uh, red tide and the bioluminescence that was going on. And as you're paddling at night, you see creatures going through the water. You're not sure exactly what they are, but the bioluminescence gives them a spiritual look. Um, maybe they were our, our own spirits going through the water. I know come daybreak, we have been surrounded in the tumult, paddling across the channel by pods of dolphins or aliquot going by, talking to us, swimming by, the respect we have for nature itself. And this whole aspect of us being in contact and that with the, the other world where all things are sacred. Mm. I know when, uh, I forgot, is it Brian Holland that came, came by from the Secretary of Interior's office? And he said, you know, as we got here, we're, we're getting ready to have a discussion. Seals and uh, seagulls and egrets were, were passing by and stopping and looking at him. So everybody was wondering who, who we are. We are here. We are in connection with that. We are in connection with not only the human being aspect, the spiritual aspect, but the creature aspect. That's how special it is for us. We feel that balance and uh, blessed to have that. And we appreciate all those people, like Marco said, the agencies, the public agencies, the government agencies, the tribal agencies. But I think what we welcome the most is that spiritual connection with everything. Mm. And um, I think that's why some people just clamor to be there, wanting to be there. Um, but I think it's just, it's almost inexplainable. But if you're a Native person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. Hello. Thanks. Hello. Thank no, you. I do, I, I do agree on that, Reg, with you. All those, uh, it's a ceremony that starts way before we even touch the water. Um, everything we do, all we do together, what we do to pre prepare for it. And it's a really beautiful long ceremony that starts months ahead of time, weeks ahead of time, days ahead of time, hours ahead of time. And it's just about enjoying each other, loving each other, enjoying uh, everything we do together, the ups and the downs, which we're, we're humans, so there is a lot of up and down, but, but the, the ups outweigh everything, and that's what always stays in our hearts and keeps us going during that ceremonial time, whether it's in dark water in the middle of the night or the daytime or seeing new young paddlers getting in, uh, feeling, that, feeling that experience, um, there's nothing like it. It's what we look forward to, and we, uh, and I just love my brothers here, and I'm grateful. Thank you for having me here. You know, one thing about all that you said, everybody tries to write about the tumult. Everybody talks about the tumult, but yet Reggie, Steve, my son Marcus, and myself are there. We were there. A lot of people say, and what, what Reggie reminded me right now is that during the daytime, you see the sunrise, right? And that sunrise is how we want to give some hope. We want to give some motivation. We want to give some connection to our young people throughout Abaya La North or, or Turtle Island. And all the canoe families that I'm in contact with, and I know Reggie and Steve have other contacts that are just as, just as wonderful. And that is they always want us to say our young people, this, we do it for them. We do it for, and there's some old, there's some young people that never had an opportunity where they did not have a tumult. Remember, given the you know Southern California uh, and Northern California experience and the history, which I won't get into, but there was people like Reggie, people like Steve, people like Marcus Jr. In order to 
bring it all together and sacrifice some of their time and money. I mean, nothing is free, right? But yet, like what they say, we're, our, our people are, and the traditional people are maybe money poor, but mm. culture rich. And we do this for our young people to motivate them to create an atmosphere, be proud of who they are. And, and really, that's why that's part of the whole picture. It's not just one thing. It's just part so they can grab onto this, so they can have some hope in this turbulent times that we're living here in the United States about connecting the dots, about connecting the, uh, the families that are praying for us, that are praying with each other, and they've all got their dynamics of indigenation, especially now. And for our Mother Earth and for, like Reggie and Steve was talking about, that spiritual connection to nature and to the cosmos and to the celestial bodies. This is all wrapped up together. So it's not a one thing or it's not just a simple thing to do. But we're committed. We can tell that Reggie's committed. I'm committed. He's committed. Marcus is committed. And we want that commitment to be contagious. For young people, men and, you know, men and women, young boys and young girls, and ours should be proud of who they are. That's mm-hmm. the important thing, to have confidence, to have that perseverance, the tenacity of who they are. You know, don't let all the Chumash people, reward, are you talking about this and that? Be proud of being Chumash, and everything else is secondary. Be proud of who you are. So I think that's one of the, the things I want to leave, Larry, about what these men, these these uh, um, Reggie and Steve and Marcus Jr., what they help us do in order to make a journey possible. But the journey is a life journey, and that's, I think that's so important with the spiritual backing and the material conditions. We have gone a long way, but we will go further. No doubt about that. And that concludes part one of our two-part interview here on American Indian Airwaves. We are speaking with Marcus Lopez Tevia and Reggie Pagaline on the 20th anniversary Tamil crossing to Limu, a 26-mile voyage off the coast of Santa Barbara to the traditional islands of Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island. This year marks the 20th crossing in over 150 years. For listeners that are interested in supporting the name change of the Santa Cruz Island back to its original Chumash name, Limu, you can visit the Barbareño Chumash Tribal Council of Santa Barbara website at bctcsb.com. And now we're going to hear a story told by Chumash elder Georgiana Sanchez the story is titled Chumash Mermaid Story, and this is off the album When the Ancestors Whisper, Stories from Native California, published by the California Indian Storytellers Association, here on American Indian Airwaves. The homeland of the Chumash people includes the Channel Islands off the coast of Santa Barbara and the coastal lands from San Luis Obispo in the north to as far south as Malibu. Here is Georgiana Sanchez speaking at a California Indian Storytelling Festival. A long time ago, on the island of Limu, the island you now know as Santa Cruz Island, on our big island, Slo's daughter, he was the Wat of Swahil, that big village there on Limu, 
Slow's daughter was a very beautiful young girl. From the time that she was really little, people just loved her. Her name was Hilspei Limu, the flower of Limu. But when the people would see this little girl playing around and growing up and just the things that she'd do, they loved her so much. And they'd call her Pei Pei which means to blossom or to bloom. Ah, haku, pei, pei, they'd say. And she grew into a very beautiful young woman in her early teen years. Now, pei, pei used to love to go out in her tomo. So we know women fished and women paddled. She went out in her tomo, out by where the giant kelp beds are. And she loved to look down over the side of the tomo. She loved to look down and just see the seaweed as it's just waving. If you've ever been there and you see the giant kelp, the way it waves and almost seems to dance. She loved it. She could stay for the longest time just seeing the movement of the giant kelp beds, the giant seaweed. And so one day while she was out there fishing, she threw her hook over the line. Ashka, Ashka, old man coyote, was watching from behind a rock and he saw this beautiful young woman and he loves women and he thought, I'm just going to go and, and, and tease her a little bit. So as much as he hated water, he jumped into the water, he tried to stay unseen, he went under there and he began to hook her line. Now, Coyote, even though he was a very important elder, a very important personage, will do some silly things sometimes. So he was teasing her. She feels the tug on her line. She pulls the hook up, and there is Ashka, old man coyote. And he is sputtering. He's trying to get his breath back. He's all drenched with water. And she looks at him, and she starts to laugh. <laughs> she said, I know you. You're old man coyote. He says, now people are going to call you old man fish. And she dunks him back down into the water, and then she plays with him and brings him back up. He's sputtering. She dunks him back down. She brings him back up, and he's getting madder by the minute. She dunks him back down. She get, he gets away from the hook. He goes, and he swims back, and he's walking off to the village. He is mad. He is so mad. And she, in the meantime, almost immediately when she saw him, she starts to feel really bad. Ooh, what has she done? You know, because even if people have their ways, that's Ashka, that's old man Coyote. He's an elder, an important personage. Oh, her dad is going to be so mad, and so she's not going to go home. She doesn't want to go home. And the birds come and steal her fish, and before you know it, all her fish are gone. She has no fish to go home to. She's acted very rudely, very disrespectful to an elder. And so she begins to think about this and think about this, and finally she says, I can't go home. So she takes her tomal in, and she climbs to a very high cliff overlooking the ocean. During the night, you know, young teenagers sometimes, very dramatic, very obsessed with themselves sometimes, and she begins to feel very, very guilty and very full of shame. Sometimes the dumb things we do, the guilt is worse than the dumb thing we do because it negates our own worth when we begin to feel so guilty and feed and feed on that. Well, she was young and hadn't learned a better way, so she decided that in the morning she would jump off the cliff to her death in the rocks below. So when dawn was barely starting to be dawn, she jumps off the cliff, but by then the tide had come in, and where her body first hit the water, all the way up to her waist, she began to change. 
Her body fell away, her legs and the parts of her body fell away from the waist down, and she began to change, and she began to change into half woman, half fish. And when she recognized that, she knew she couldn't, she had to leave her island homeland. But the most amazing thing, the part of her body that fell away became all the beautiful abalone, all the beautiful shells that we wear, all the beautiful colored fish and seashells. She didn't know this, though, as she wanders and takes off and leaves her island homeland. And she wanders and wanders the ocean. And we feel, I know, that that ocean began to speak to her. The spirit of Hutash began to speak to her. Something within her grew very profound, very beautiful. The love in her began to grow as she is swimming and swimming farther and farther away from her homeland, from her island home. She comes to the farthest island, the island you now know as San Nicolas Island, which is about 75 miles off the mainland. And finally, weary, but somehow more at peace, she climbs up on the rocks and she falls asleep. Now two little boys, because there were people living there, saw her and they were amazed this beautiful woman, but when they saw where they came out from behind the rock, the bottom half of her was a fish. Oh my God, they had to run, they ran over there to call their grandpa, 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 there's a woman, there's a woman, she's on the beach and she's half woman, half fish, come grandpa, you've got to see. So they all go back, they're behind the rock and they see her as she begins to wake up. And she begins to run her fingers through her beautiful long hair, her beautiful long hair. And she begins to sing a song that reminds her of her island homeland. A story told by Chumash elder Georgiana Sanchez, titled Chumash Mermaid Story, off the album When the Ancestors Whisper, Stories from Native California, by the California Indian Storytellers Association, here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second part of our program on today's show, we continue our interview with Marcus Lopez Stevia and Reggie Pagaline, all Chumash community members and captains of the Tamal. They're speaking on the 20th anniversary Tamal crossing to Limu, a 26-mile voyage across the Santa Barbara Channel off the coastline to the traditional island of Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island. We're speaking on celebration, ceremony, sacrifices, and cultural experiences. And now, part two of our two-part interview on the 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing to Limu. You know, and listening to you, Marcus, too, um, and understanding, you know, where you started with the genealogy of the Tamuls, um, you know, and, and just knowing all three of you and, and um, your responsibilities as captain and, you know, as community members and upholding those responsibilities, um, you know, throughout the years and continue to do so. But also um, in thinking about uh, the culture and cultural revitalization and, and the understanding that uh, for all of you, did you get to grow up? Um, with uh, living tamals and have ceremony, and then, you know, and how does that relate to, um, you know, where we are 
uh, this year with this ceremony and so many um, tamals being birthed over the year over the recent years. And Reggie, I'll start with you. Well, I think that, that again, you're talking about a, a younger generation. Um, kind of difficult to say where they are all at. Um, gratification has become so quickly for them uh, and standard in their lifetime, uh, as I've seen. And it was probably the same for us when we were young people, mm-hmm. as life progresses, um, seeing those changes. And how that has come about with the Tamils is, you know, they're, uh, I've been asked to build two, three more Tamils, um, one, one out of this country. Uh, so I am uh, contemplating all of that. Um, this is a, a, it's not a hobby. It's a lifestyle that's very small. The traditional canoe circle is very small. And I've been blessed to go ahead and go back to New Zealand and have actually met their canoe makers. Mm. And so the Shumash people have a bond with the Maori people. This is where uh, the waters from the Pacific Ocean, where we escort all our spirits, end up meeting the Tasman Sea. And the waters send all uh, currents north from there. And that's an amazing thing. And, and to have that discussion with Maori people over uh, water and maritime, lifestyle, stories, canoe making, and to pass that on to this younger generation, knowing that what I've experienced may or may not happen to them, but at least what we have done during our time here has created an opening and door for them to realize that this is not that small of a world within the traditional maritime aspects. Mm. There is so much to learn um, from maritime skills to actually putting a face on what we call the disciplines of education today, Mm. knowing mathematics, knowing mathematics to how to build from the basic measurement of your hand to advanced mathematics for water displacement. Those are things we can be proud of that we can say that we are done and may not be recognized within the education system only because the education system is saying this is how you measure and uh, this is a lifestyle. This is love. This is, this is the love of life. This is within the spirit of traditional people and they're from all nations from Japan to the uh, New Guinea to the islands of the South Pacific to Mexico to Alaska, all of us have had a very important aspect of not only having survival skills in maritime, but to learn the basics of how to waterproof um, chemistry. All these skills were there. They were life sustaining, but there were also educational skills, the disciplines, this, this world, this current society demands we have, mm-hmm. yet they also finally, finally, finally are coming to recognize traditional knowledge as being invaluable. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be said even as they recognize things, as I can make an analogy, the old man of the sea. As I move into those stages, you know, I'm proud to be recognized as an old man of the sea. It means I've finally made it somewhere, mm. and the ocean has let me do that. Mm. So I think that that opportunity to share with them mm. is um, 
something they didn't have, even though they grew up around tamoles and, and seeing it. Now they're finding out there's a whole nother segment, and they're expanding their boundaries. They're getting to know other traditional canoe families. And I think that's a goal that I didn't expect, but I'm glad it was achieved, and, and all of these men that I'm around and, and women have been able to contribute to that. Steve, yours, your thoughts? Well, to go back to, to, to growing up, none of us grew up with this exact way of life. Yeah. Um, we grew up in different ways in the water, as children in, in ceremony, uh, without a lot of language, without a lot of songs, without, without, without um, the, uh, what has been done to us through the mission system. Mm-hmm. Um, they did their job well because he took away a lot. And so uh, it has been a beautiful journey to see the seeds being planted, uh, watching it being a part of the, uh, of the seeds and, and the, watch the watering of the seeds and watch the, the roots grow and then the stem come out and, and, and grow into a beautiful flower. And that's, that's where we're at. That's how I see it. And we want to remind listeners, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Marcus Lopez, Steve Villa, and Reggie Pagaline regarding the 20th anniversary Chumash crossing to Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island, in the heart of the Chumash Nation. And now, back to the interview. We've been able to see it every step of the way, and uh, through all the twists and turns that it's done in our lives, uh, and what it did before this, because there are things that came into our lives individually to Marcus's, Marcus Jr.'s, Reggie's, as well as my life, is, is young people. All the trials and tribulations is what it took to get us to this point, to teach us what we needed to know so we could be ready to do this. And we didn't know that. So life already had pinned out what we were going to do later. And we didn't know that. So we went through all those trials and tribulations to get where we're at and, um, and being able to see that and watch and to grow to see our children and our, my grandchildren even. My children grew up in, in, in the years that they, all they knew was Tomo language and song. And they look at me like saying, wasn't it always like that? And my grandchildren being grow up with Tomo's language, song, gatherings, all of us together as a community. They look at me and like, this is always like this, right? Then we did our job. We did what we were supposed to. And it's the most beautiful thing to see that. Marcus? Well, I'm just going to say that one one of the rules of um, the canoe, go back to that, is we pool and support each other. The pieces of the Pomo are sewn together. Plants are are sophisticated in the way in which they are developed, shaped, and formed as you build the Pomo. Each plank from the from the hole all the top ears is a creation of a, of, of a being, a creation of a spirit. So when we put, put the tumult on the water, is that our spiritual connections are there. And that those connections are so important. And, and the, from the old brotherhood of the 1800s to the new one from the, from the uh, uh, 76 to the crew today, it's about being and working together. It's being. It's about praying together. It's about eating together. It's about enjoying each other's company. It's about when people talking about decolonizing. We got to decolonize our minds and embrace the spirit. 
with people talking about self-determination, the canoe in the water is self-determination. We determine that we're going to do this and with the help of the spirits in the community and how we do this and also with the whole notion that this is the tolerance you have for each other and the love for each other, understanding peaceful uh, peacefulness of that whole aspect of that. That peace so we can have and communicate to the world around us and to the effort into that's why we pull that's why all the people before us and to the future about not only how we supernavigate the islands, but also how we instruct the younger people to go to the ocean, go to that water spirit, spread our goodwill and good fortune as native people, true match people that live in the one of the most beautiful places in the world. And we're grateful of that. We'll continue being grateful of that. And so, Larry, you can't put one finger at it. It's the many multiple layers of this. Not only existential feeling of one person experience within the water and whatnot, but a collective experience, also a multitude of experiences that gravitate into the infinity, that this is so important. The essence is that infinity of that spiritual being that Reggie talked about in the very beginning, and that is for the whole universe. And we grapple with that and we embrace that and hope we're doing the right things in order to let that be open, let that be our strength, and let that be the future so we can teach our children, children's children, where it all not only started, but where it's got to go. So I think it's all, it's all good, Larry. And that concludes part two of our two-part interview with Marcus Lopez, Steve Villa, and Reggie Pagaline, all Chumash community members and captains. They were speaking on the 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing to Limu, also known as Santa Cruz Island. The 20th anniversary Tamal Crossing comprises of a 26-mile voyage across the Santa Barbara Channel to the traditional islands of Limu. For more information on supporting the name change of the Santa Cruz Island back to its original uh, name, Limu, you can visit the Barbarino Chumash Tribal Council of Santa Barbara website at BC. TCSB.com. And in the final segment of today's program, we hear again from Chumash elder Georgiana Sanchez a short story titled Lost in the Desert off the album When the Ancestors Whisper Stories from Native California. I was remembering my father as a storyteller. Not only would he tell us stories of some of his long trips that he would take. One time he walked 200 miles across the Chiricahua Mountains. And he, had a st- he told about the whole trail. And the only map he had was the story that his father told him of when he had made that exact same journey years before. That was the only map my father had. You go so long across the river, you see a mountain to the, you know, and the mountain would have a particular face on it. You head that way for one day. When sunset comes, you should be by a certain place. Here is where the Apaches attacked a mule train. And so everything had a story, and that was his map to make it across these mountains. And father, when he would tell us these stories, would make them so vivid. I mean, his his use of language would transform, and we were inside the story. He would make up stories. 
And there was one story in particular where he talked about a man who gets lost in the desert. And he comes across this sort of outcropping of rocks, not real high, but enough to give him some shade. And he goes and he tries to find a little alcove in these rocks. And um, as he enters into a shadier spot so he can get cool, uh, he enters into another world. And when he enters into this other world, everything is different. It is very, very unlike the world that we live in today. And my father would describe uh, flowers and plants and the people uh, were a, a furrier little people. And they weren't really little, little. They were just smaller in stature. And they were had a lot of hair. But they were very kind. And he lived with these people because he couldn't get back. The man who was lost lived with these people for many, many, many years. And always was the longing that somehow he had to get back home. But he couldn't find that space in time or space or dimension or whatever to get back to the other place. And he learned a lot from these very wise, very good people, very loving people. And uh, somehow one day, I don't remember the particulars, the man finds his way to another uh, spot in, in that world that opened up so he could get back home. It's kind of like the Rip Van Winkle story in reverse because in this story, he has lived and learned from these other people, has seen amazing things. And when he comes back, people who had been looking for him now and found him maybe a day later said, where have you been? We've been looking for you for three days. Or three days, he says, I've been gone for like 20 years or more, you know, 30 years or however long it was. And I remember that the man, when he comes back here, there's a part of him that longs to go back to this other place because he learned so much. Something in him grew, and, and, uh, but he, he never quite could find that place. And I always wished that he could get back there and maybe go back and forth between worlds. And that is that I, I, I guess I'm the kind of person people give me books called, you know, like God and Physics or Physics and God or A Brief History of Time and the Quantum Theory of the Universe uh, because, you know, in the new thinking about how the universe, you know, what it must be like, uh, they talk about all of these different dimensions. And uh, so that it fits really well with the native perspective of the world, that there are many dimensions uh, to the world. There is the spirit world, there is the invisible world, and that it informs us, even though we may be unaware of it. And it informs us, and oftentimes the life of plants of the animals, of the mountains, of the air that we feel against our face, that that is informing us and has a greater knowledge. And there's no words to describe what this universe is trying to tell us from the farthest star out there to the closest, into the grain of sand that maybe we hold between our fingers. And so what my father taught us by these stories is that is to believe in and to know uh, it, it it sort of awakened or kept awake our our former way of looking at the world. Because I think many of us have forgotten. People thought about the world differently. They, they experienced reality differently than we do now. And I think a lot of it had to do after post-colonial times. 
and also to when we begin to lose our languages and have to speak in a language that can actually objectify and make a thing out of something. See? So that's why our stories are so important because it reminds us that, I mean, Literally, we'll walk through parallel worlds at times. And my father said that we learn a lot of ways. Stories that people tell us, just our experiential knowledge. You know, when it rains, it's wet. You know, you get too close to the fire, it's hot. Don't do that again. But also, too, another way is when the ancestors whisper in our ears. And, uh, and unless we're open to that, the same way that the language that the universe speaks to us and the knowledge and the wisdom that it has to tell, if we're not, we'll miss it. We'll just miss it. And I think that's what storytellers bring. I think that's why it's so, so important for us to, uh, particularly, I think, in this very technologized kind of where everything is, a lot of consumerism stuff and also too, so that even people become objects. Uh, that that without our stories, um, we could be lost in that reality. And there's greater realities and we have to be reminded of that and our stories do that. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, Marcus Lopez, Steve Villa, Reggie Pagaline. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon star, Koopa Aina, the California Indian Storytellers Association featuring Chumash elder Georgiana Sanchez and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. They try not to become what they've endured. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.